in retrospect at all my past so-called failures, they're actually not failures. They're kind of like course correction events that brought me to where I am today. Elena, welcome to the show. Hi, Karim. Nice to see you today. Thank you so, for inviting me. <laughs> it is my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. It seems like we are sort of uh, running in the same circles. Uh, so I'm curious where, what you're going to, how are you going to answer this one? What is one thing that you believe to be true about marketing and the work that you do that most people would probably disagree with you on? Oh my God, this is a very good question um, and a very difficult one. I, I would probably say marketing is not that complicated. I feel like everyone is normally like is trying to reinvent the wheel, do their own frameworks and yada yada. It's like it's been done before and the easiest solution, the easiest answer probably lays amongst your network. Just ask and you can actually have something done in a week's time after that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I was actually having a walk with, I'm, I'm slowly getting into hiking. I, uh, well, it's probably just a walk, but for, in my mind, it's a big hike, but it was just like a 30 minute walk. Um, I was wearing the shoes though. And I was, uh, with a, a really good friend of mine who, um, he, he's basically like a technical co-founder of another, uh, company, but now he's moved into like marketing and sales a bit more. And he was like, Hey, let me tell you my marketing plan. And he told me, and it was so, so simple, so clear. And I was like, I, I cannot fault anything you said. Like, this is all based on first principles. This is all logical. You did not use any fancy buzzwords or tactics or anything like that. And yet, it, I, I can't disagree with this. I think this makes total sense. So I, I really love what you said about how, yeah, like it shouldn't be, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but like people shouldn't overcomplicate marketing. Like what was true before is going to stay yeah. true, I guess. Yeah, get the fundamentals right. You highlighted it very well. Get the fundamentals right, everything else is going to follow. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And just another quote on that that I read somewhere, it says that like if if there's like stu two students in a classroom and there's a teacher, sometimes the fellow student can explain uh, like how to do something to the other student better than the teacher can because they are a lot closer to the material, whereas like that, that quote-unquote expert is someone who has almost like lost touch with, with like really being able to explain uh, th these concepts to um, to the students. So, I thought I thought that was quite interesting as well. But anyways, I digress. You've had a very interesting career journey across B two B, across B two C, um, back to B two B, enterprise startups, advising startups. I want to rewind the tape with you as we go through these key moments. But before that, for people who may have not met you before, do you want to tell us a bit more about what you're currently doing right now? Yes. Um, I am the head of marketing at Learnably, which is an L&D SaaS solution. So in simple words, as we discussed, um, we are actually an L&D platform that offers access to about 200 plus learning providers in different formats, such as books, courses, I don't know, mentors, coaches, and so on and so forth. We have some of the best learning uh, kind of providers in our network, um, Udemy, um, we've got Masterclass, Plural Site, um, we have Amazon Books, 
all of them under one roof. So employees can actually get access to anything that they think suits their jobs the best. Because not everyone learns from a course, not everyone learns from a book. So we adapt the learning, we personalize the learning to the employee. The business, the finance team in the, at the end of the month gets only one receipt so that they don't have to play with all the small receipts that employees would submit if the same access to multiple providers would have been insured without Learnably. So I've been with Learnably for over one year and a half now. It's been a journey. So yeah, here I am today. <laughs> Love it. And speaking of which, let's let's jump into the key moments because I know that there's a lot of different ways I want to take this, but I, I want you to take us. So let's start with one failure for you. One failure. That's a very good word because um, I, I came to the realization that I don't necessarily believe in um, failure as... Um, kind of a statement, you know, like I failed. Um, I see failure more as a present feeling. Like I feel that I failed at the moment. But if I look actually in retrospect at all my past so-called failures, um, they're actually not failures. They're kind of like course correction events that brought me to where I am today. So... I love, Thankfully, I love looking at those like as a past failures, moment. yeah, <laughs> looking at those past fa failures in retrospect, they were not that bad. They actually protected me for from something that, in retrospect, I could see would have been something worse. And what's an example um, of that? Um, so as an example, it's not necessarily like I didn't have big failures. I had lots of mini failures, all stemming from one big problem. You can call it failure of mine is not trusting my abilities and um, kind of you can call it like imposter syndrome and everyone apparently has it because uh, everyone is a bit more open about it today uh, but when going for my career especially you know as a as a new leader um, this feeling is a bit more heightened but it would stop me from trusting my gut and do what I believed in so as an example you know like i believe that this campaign shouldn't be done but because i know i trust my manager a bit more or someone else i would take their words as it is and i was like look i feel that it's wrong but maybe they know more you know and at the end it turned out actually i should have trusted my gut so i think lots of these small not setbacks but like little failures actually cumulatively probably created some kind of resentment, some frustrations. And I think by solving this kind of, you know, imposter syndrome feeling, I think would protect me from having these little failures in the future. So I think... Yeah, it, it almost stems from like a mindset thing that... It's that a mindset. About, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I know, like, I know... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just like you probably wanted to hear like a big failure of mine. I was just like, and I was actually reflecting on it. It's like, there's no one huge failure that changed my life. There's like little moments that actually taught me something um, in return. 
And they always stem from this very important thing that actually everyone is kind of encountering on a daily basis, unfortunately. Yeah. And speaking of which, like what were some ways that, tell us maybe some ways that helped you overcome that or at least get better at coping with that? I think experience actually helps. Seeing that, you know, one thing you don't share something or you don't push back or you don't um, push forward with your idea. Having these multiple instances where at the end you actually learn that, you know, you were right, as an example. Or seeing other people um, in way higher positions than I am who are way, way more experienced than me kind of doing the same things, making, you know, like certain decisions, then they're wrong. They're kind of taking kind of this mini failure and moving forward actually told me, you know what? Everyone is figuring things out at the same time. No one really knows anything. And the more you actually go progress through your career, the more, the less you actually know and the less support you get. It's very lonely out there. You know, like when you're the only like person or something, like the more, yeah. the higher altitude, it's like, okay, there's no yeah. here. Yeah. Because when you're like, for example, at Learnable right now, I'm the only kind of senior marketeer. Yeah. It's like, not, no one really in the business has this kind of former training in, in marketing. I don't have a director of marketing or a PO of marketing to consult me. What do I do that? You know, like you have to actually learn how to trust yourselves. You actually have to refer to your community and to your network to ask them questions if you don't know um, um, what to do. And in the end, yeah. what I've actually learned and accepted is it's going back to failing. Going back, like, it's, it's, it's okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes. In the end, unless you're a doctor, we don't save lives. Like, the worst of the mistakes is going to be something that is going to hurt a bit, kind of the ROI on an investment, you know? Um, yeah. Of course, you like sort of short risk calculation. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, you are just doing the job and it's totally fine with the data that you have to make a certain decision. But if you yeah. don't make that decision, you're basically just delaying. It's better to do than not to do. Yeah, and to be honest with you, um, and uh, I haven't necessarily said this uh, publicly before, but here we are. You know, as a... we. Uh, so we we received a small amount of funding as as Chopcast, but for the most part we've been we've been bootstrapped for the most part over the last four years, um, and so on. And so we always try to think two, three, four, five times before making a decision. Sometimes we spend ages in like this decision. Um, uh, what is it called? Like decision paralysis, basically, where it's like, yeah, but we just need one more spreadsheet to like analyze this versus this or that versus that or come up with the, the perfect template for this or the perfect, you know, playbook for that. And ultimately, as as they say in startup world, like you you have to you have to leave the building eventually or to bring it closer to what you're saying, you have to take a decision eventually. And that decision is probably some of it's probably gonna help you get the data that you're seeking that you think you can just theoretically uh, hypothesize like with your team internally without actually leaving the building. So uh, and actually, I was literally working on something all morning up until this up until this recording, and I'm I'm being very honest. Like I'm actually I was like overthinking every single word. Like hmm, should I use this word? Read that word's better. And I and I you know theoretically I know that hey like there's you just need to send it you just need to release it. 
and then see what the feedback is. And that's the fastest way to learn. And I understand it theoretically, but I'm trying to get better at like putting that into practice. And one thing that's been helping me is this super random quote that I think comes from uh, uh, Barack Obama. I think he said something like, whenever I'm making a decision, if I believe, and it's like a close call, when I, whatever I believe is like 51% true, I just go with that. And after making that decision, kind of like having a, a torchlight on the path that you're work, walking on, every decision takes you a couple of steps forward and you're like, oh, okay, that was wrong, but now I have more information. Now I'm even more sure <laughs> to go to the other direction and so on. So uh, I follow what you're saying for sure. Yeah, he was a smart guy. It it reminds me of the CEO of Brewdog. He's not the best example to be giving in this podcast, but um, he has a very interesting overview of uh, of marketing. Uh, he has had a lot of controversial campaigns and he got a lot of backlash for it. And when questioned about it, like, aren't you afraid that this is going to impact the brand and the sales in the future? Um, his answer was that people don't recall it past the week, Max. Um, yeah. It's you try, you do your best. If it backfires, if we didn't consider certain things, yeah, it's a learning for us. But every time they've done something, it hasn't backfired as much as everyone thinks. The reason being is that people don't care about your brand as much as you think they care about your brand. And this was confirmed by uh, Mark Ritson as well, who is an amazing marketing leader running the mini MBA in marketing courses. He says like, just test and experiment with messaging, put it out there. Don't be afraid that one of your messages is gonna change everyone's mind. No, just do it. Like, yeah, but remember last year you sent that email. No, I can never forgive you. <laughs> yeah, how many times do you remember this thing? It's like I don't. Like so in the end, as long as you have a great product, I think everything else can be sorted out. And and I'm not trying to be cynical, but like we work in B2B and I mean even like pop culture, you know, entertainment news and stuff about like you know what I mean, like athletes or celebrities or whatever. Like the biggest, flashiest most traffic, whatever news, even that gets forgotten after a week, you know, so yeah, so yeah, there you go. It's the case. Yeah. yeah. Well, shifting gears a bit, what was, and I, and I, you mentioned the mini MBA and I'm starting to, 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 to learn a bit more about like your sort of like influences. What was one book? And this could be a book that you came through, through learnably <laughs> or even through, through before, but what was one book for you that really shaped your journey? I think you've mentioned a part of the book a bit earlier today. First Principles, the book I would recommend absolutely everyone to read is called Mental Models, The Best Way to Make Intelligent Decisions. I think it was written by Shane Parrish and Rhiannon something. So honestly, if you read one book this year, I strongly recommend this one. So. The reason being is that people need to make decisions on a daily basis and we just can't avoid the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. This book teaches us the best ways to thinking so that we make decisions basically unbiased and quicker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my favorite mental model from this book is actually the first principles mental model. Um, so like, yeah, once I read that book, I actually changed my way of thinking how I approach problems. 
um, on a daily basis. Yeah, and it kind of ties in with the. I think everything we're talking about ties in with what we've talked, what, what we, what you've mentioned, that what we've been talking about in the beginning. But like you said, like people overcomplicate marketing or something to that effect, and that comes down to the first principles uh, approach. And that's why I don't know about you, but like sometimes I actually really enjoy. Sometimes I feel like I've read too much into marketing that it often leads to this like analysis paralysis because I quote unquote know too much, you know. And sometimes I find it very refreshing to just adopt a beginner's mind. I'm still a beginner, but to consciously adopt a beginner's mindset and talk to someone who doesn't know and you know doesn't know quote unquote as much about marketing and just see how they approach things. And they're like, oh well, we just do A, B, and then we do C. I'm like, wow, that's so that's so refreshingly like simple and and powerful. And it kind of helps you like wrap your head around things. Um, there's one more book in the same uh, vein, Elena, that I think uh, people might like uh, called Problem Solving 101. And it's uh, written by a guy called uh, Ken Watanabe. And I think he used to work for McKinsey or something, but he basically wrote a children's book on decision making. Uh, and I think he's of, uh, I think he's from Japan and he wrote it for like the Japanese um, kind of like teenagers and like school, school like students and stuff like that. But apparently the book, even though it was targeted towards children, it got picked up by like business professionals and became like a bestseller and stuff like that. I think it became a bestseller. But either way, it just talks about like, I think five or six different concepts that McKinsey charges like a ton for. And he just explains it in in like children. Happened. Yeah, like just children, simple, chil- like how to come up with like a, um, uh, a logic tree, uh, you know, uh, like me, me and my wife, we wanted to go away for a couple of days um, last week and we said, Okay, let's do a logic tree. We can either go, we can either have a staycation or we could have, um, we could do like uh, wild camping or we could do, I forgot what the third category was, but it's like just thinking in terms of categories, almost like folders and like within each folder, there's more things that that's one of the tools that I really love this idea of like logic trees and just helps you to structure your thinking. Um, And some companies charge you like tens and hundreds of thousands just to do that simple exercise. so yeah, that that children's book is definitely one that I that I really like these days. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, I think life gets better once you make decisions better as well. So yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's definitely an area that I'm like trying to master a bit more. Yeah, me, same here. And I mean, one 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 last thing to share here is that there is this um, insane stat that I came across from um, from a uh, a book called the uh, the Jolt Effect. And speaking of books, and they were talking about how, from a sales perspective, most most sales deals sometimes get lost, uh, not due to like a hard no or anything like that, but due to indecision. And so even from like a B2B perspective, um, a lot of people are not making decisions. Like they could, they could say no, you know, but they're not even saying no or saying yes. A lot of them are just stuck in indecision um, because that some of the research they they share is like people are afraid to to mess up and he coined this term of like it's not about like fear of missing out it's more about like fear of messing up and i think that's at the heart of like why people are afraid to make decisions like they just they feel they fear like oh i might get in trouble if i make a big decision and it turns out to be the wrong one yeah it's it's a very big thing um it's something that it's difficult to overcome as well, you know. It's especially tying back to like imposter syndrome and stuff. It's yeah. if you don't 
trust that you can recover, that you're in a safe environment in your business, then a question, is it internal or is the business really creating a safe environment for you um, to make that decision? Um, that's why I believe like in the power of great managers, like great managers teach juniors how to make these decisions without being afraid. If your first manager is bad, you're screwed. Almost your entire career is going to be screwed, basically, which is puts a lot of pressure on managers these days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, totally. And it's uh, like, I, I'm wondering if there were like, I guess this is a good segue into the next point. Um, speaking of managers or even just like marketing figures that you um, uh, that you admire, like who was one person for you that uh, that comes to mind often when you're when you're going about your journey? I think I would, there's lots of people that I encountered that really had a huge impact on me, but probably one of the most important ones was one of my managers at Deliveroo, Elijah. He was the first manager that showed me what does great management means. Um, he definitely saw the potential in me. He definitely empowered me and he had my back in everything. And once you have someone's back, like if you, if you have someone's support when you're actually thinking about the strategy, thinking about everything, things become so much easier. You suddenly have wings to fly. And his approach is what I actually adopted in my own management style as well. It's how do you give this freedom and empowerment and how do you set boundaries around it? Because our relationship, yeah, he was empowering me and he was giving me everything I needed, but I also knew how to have his back and I also knew when to come to him when things go south. So, um, yeah, I do believe that managers are the key people in someone's careers. And he was the one who defined me who I am as a manager today. Um, and he started that kind of process of thinking of who I am as a leader. And it doesn't matter if that person, I mean, in, in this dynamic, in, in your case, you still had that imposter syndrome, but just having that sort of like backbone support almost made you somehow like bypass it or at least reduce its effect on it so that you can still go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, is imposter syndrome is um, feeling that you get when you're you just don't tr trust yourself that you deserve something or um, you don't trust your own abilities um, to make that decision. Having confirmation, if you speak up your mind and having external confirmation is the first step in actually seeing that actually you are right more often than not. Um, and this step-by-step -step can help you get to a better place where you're, you know, you're better placed in making an impact without worrying every single day. The funny thing, I was talking to someone who's been in marketing for like 30 years and is the typical, you know, like, um, stereotypical, you know, man in his 50s and the other white. And I was like, I was going to the conversation with like, oh my God, like, how do you manage day to day? Like, tell me how you're like, I don't know, like you're, you're kind of catapulting for your career. His answer was, I have worries and it's, and imposter syndrome every single day. Like what you're seeing, it's the cover up. 
Like everyone has it at every, every single level. It's just, you're never going to get rid of it. And I was like, oh, great, good news. But um, what's important is that experience helps you handle it in a better way. Yeah. You're freaking out less, or you know at least how to handle it or how to approach the problem without kind of losing sleep over it. And it becomes almost like a, it's like a, an equation, like you want to cancel, if it's going to be X, you just cancel out the X because it's going to be like a constant. So rather than focusing on that, like figuring out yeah. that, or accepting that this is going to be a thing, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, it's going to be a thing. So just like seeing, seeing beyond that, and obviously like having the right people to, to, to nurture that environment for you is, is that, and so. Um, like say with your team, for example, uh, based on like what you've been learning from, uh, from like your time with Elijah, like what would be, what are some things for people tuning in, um, that, that you're currently applying or, or in the process of applying that maybe could be beneficial to others as well? Empowering the team and giving them the opportunity to own their own areas, even if you're a junior. Um, everyone has ideas, everyone has capabilities. So just giving this, creating this safe environment for them to actually speak out, share what they think and not jump into giving them solutions, ask more questions, um, to help them arrive to this, um, kind of solution themselves, um, encourage accountability as well. So giving very clear um, kind of goals um, and what is the desired outcome and asking them, okay, if we need to achieve this, by when do you think you can do it and which support do you require? Mm-hmm. Lots of people are going to shy away from answering because no one really wants to like get themselves into promising something, but with a little bit of push, you create this accountability in the team where, look, we are in it together. Let's let's work it out. Let's do it. So, like, um, yeah, clear kind of direction and clear expectations is very, very important to create this accountability on the team. Yeah. Probably the last one is um, encouraging learning. It is very important as a professional to continuously learn. And not only from books and not only from courses, but... Are you active on LinkedIn? Are you active in your network? Are you learning from someone who is 10 years ahead of you in your career? It's very, very important to harness this creativity on a day-to-day basis to get better in your job. So in my team, we have monthly development conversations where we don't talk about work. We just talk, look, what do you want to achieve in a year's time? What do you want to achieve in five years' time? what is missing what you can actually start learning and trialing on the job so that you get better in a year's time because if in a year's time you're still the same as as you are today i fail as a manager you know that person doesn't fail i fail as a manager so learning is very important and it benefits the team overall yeah i love i love the way you position that and these and these development uh do you call them development uh sessions or conversations conversations yeah i love it um and that kind of you know, it, it's it's beneficial for the person and it's beneficial for, well, for the company as well, because, you know, the, you, you know, it, it, it makes sure that this person is super motivated and, and super inspired to be working on what it is they're working on, because it's something of, 
they're choosing or at least something that aligns with what they want to do so um yeah this is something this is something i think that could really uh benefit a lot of people that are that are tuning in right now who are also you know like uh stepping into like leadership uh, you know for the first time maybe not so long ago i think this is definitely something that can help them there i think sometimes and i i think we talked about it in one of the previous episodes that sometimes it can be particularly tough when you as the leader have the per- perception that you know it all uh, or you already know the answer and you're just going through the motions of like helping them figure it out on their own when you just have this like burning need to just tell them what what needs to be done and um I, I certainly used to be like that in the past, uh, and I have learned that the hard way <laughs> that when you don't do that <laughs> and actually like open it up to, to people and, and actually not talk about like the methodology of doing something, but rather the end goal, you like, it's been astounding to me, like all the amazing ideas and, and, and ways to actually get to that same destination, maybe even in smarter ways in, in less time when you just create an environment where you tell people, hey, like, it's, it's, we, we know where we want to go, but there's multiple, we, we acknowledge there's multiple ways of getting there. And I believe, you know, a lot of the ways that we can get there. So why don't you, why don't you go ahead and for it? And even if you don't figure it, figure it out 100%, like, we're all here to learn, as long as we're just moving in that the right direction. Yeah, totally agree. And for those who actually have this problem of like, really need like jumping straight into solutionizing uh and it's it's the case for many businesses where you know like deadline was yesterday and you need to do it today and you don't have time to coach or help your team find the solutions especially if they are a bit more junior my advice invite them into the co-management process um i told my team look i i just call it co-management <laughs> where you actually tell your team, look, if I've ever, if I ever jump into the solutionizing and don't give you the opportunity to actually think for yourself, tell me, Elena, hold on. I actually want to think for it myself and find the solution myself. Okay. And um, we we have this approach in like on multiple kind of things. If, for example, I didn't give a clear direction or if the expectation wasn't um, clear enough set from the outset of the of the um, problem of the project, like always, always give feedback to me as well. Wow. Lots of people are afraid of giving feedback to their managers or pushing a bit back. So invite them and ensure that there is a two-way communication to make sure that the management circle actually is working well. So... I, I coin it co-management style. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry. Co- co-management. Yeah, I got you. Uh, sorry, I heard I heard call management, yeah. but yeah, co-management. Yeah. No, no. Uh, co- that, co- co- co-management. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love that because it almost gives them because sometimes people want to be nice, right? And people don't want to like uh, put put people that they report to like down and stuff like that. So I think this gives them, uh, you know, like very clear. Uh, permission or in, an invitation to be like, hey, I am telling you, if I mess up, let me know <laughs> so that we can get better together. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears a bit, um, and we're coming close to time, what was one uh, decision for you? Maybe um, I was very curious about your journey. I mean, you went from, uh, you were, you worked at companies like Bright Talk, you know, Delivery, which you've already talked about, 
obviously coming up to, to learn everything now I'm, I'm skipping a lot here but like just like what was one decision at one point of these journeys that that really uh, that, that really aff affected everything else afterward I think stepping away from bigger companies and moving into smaller ones. So I had a streak of like Facebook, big company. Brightock was about kind of like 200 plus company, very mature, like 10 years on the market. Deliveroo, big company, global one. The moment I stepped away from Deliveroo, I went into a startup, 10 people, um, before Learnably, this is where everything changed. And at that point, I actually had two offers, one for a small startup, one for another corporate, which is a very successful fintech. And it took me probably a month and a half to decide which one to take. One was very secure. Another one was wild, wild west. I had no idea. I never really worked in a kind of very small startup. Decided to go for it though. Like, it's like, if I don't make that step then, probably like what what when is the other best time i'm young don't have kids you know and i did it and the learning core curve in terms of marketing leadership for me it's never been steeper it was the best decision and prepared me in a way better way to do my job than if i actually went for a corporate and the corporate, the way they work is that you are a small piece in a very big engine. So you work on certain projects, you kind of specialize yourself, but you don't really get access to the whole operations of the business. You don't really have to think strategically yeah. on a wider scale. In startups and smaller businesses, you actually get access to it. You actually have more opportunities to fail, to learn, to move on, to challenge yourself a bit more. Mm -hmm. That experience brought me to Learnably, which is a scale-up. We are like 60, 70 people at the moment. And the level of challenges that I'm getting here, I would have never, ever gotten it anywhere else. So um, as much as I was afraid to make this step, I'm actually very happy I got to this point. And I really encourage everyone to kind of make these wild steps. Go to the wild. And wild what they consider wild for themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be fine as long as, you know, you have a good support system around you, even if it fails, you're going to be fine. Yeah. 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 Well, well said. Um, I, I can definitely relate. Like I, uh, I spent a couple of years working in LinkedIn and in HubSpot and I think because the companies are like corporate companies are just really big by definition, they, you don't even have time to come up for air and ask. In my case, I did not have time to come up for air and ask about, hey, what what does the bigger picture look like? Because you have like a million things on your table because your your role, yes, it's specialized. Yes, it's a small, uh, you know what I mean? Like a gear or cog in like a larger, larger, uh, you know, engine or something. And, you know, it, it's not like you're just sitting there wishing you could do more. Like you, you actually have so much on your plate as it is. And so I'm, I, I sympathize with other people maybe who perhaps are in a similar position in the sense that sometimes you don't even have the, the mental space to think about, hey, this there could be something out there, especially when you are in one of those corporates that is um, that creates a really nice, comfortable bubble for you with like all the benefits and all the the 
the, the bean bags and the foosball tables and all this stuff. It's like really creating a bubble for you that is designed for maximum comfort. Um, and, and yeah, like sometimes it, you really have to put effort to, to get out of the bubble, at least to just see what's out there so that you have a better appreciation of the opportunities out there. And, uh, to your point, Elena, I, I like the way that you put it that like, if it doesn't work out, um, you can learn and, and continue in, you know, in, in the wild west, or perhaps you could always come back to, to a corporate world, perhaps coming back as someone that has gained experience, maybe a little bit more rapidly, just because these smaller companies give you that exposure by, by default. Yeah. Yeah. And careers are not linear. Um, one of the biggest fears when I was stepping into a startup was, oh my God, what if I fail as a head of growth at they start up. What are people going to think? I'm not going to be able to go back into corporate and I'm not going to be able to find another job in a different business. Um, actually, it's not. It's not true. It's the experience. It is actually very valuable. And as I said, career are not linear. People jump from smaller to bigger business, from roles. Lots of people are now moving departments as well, from marketing to ops, from ops to something else. I think we are living in the day and age where we have so many opportunities. Uh, it's just if you grab them and just take them and just say yes to everything that comes your way, this is what sets you apart. Not if you work 10, 20 years in one business, in one role, and you know your role very well, but you don't know anything around it. Um, and it just overall makes life a bit more interesting with a bit more challenge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It makes sense for sure. Um, um, and, and my, my go-to for comfort is I know that, uh, sometimes, sometimes I like to just like role play this in my head that like, you're, you know, you're sitting in an interview and you're like, oh, so you spent all this time in the startup and you didn't go public. You didn't, you know, nothing, you're not on TechCrunch, you know, all these things. And my point of comfort is there are people who go and uh, travel the world, right? For like six months or for a year. And they come back and they do wonderfully in, in interviews and they're like, oh, wow, culture fit. Okay. You know, and it's like, if someone can go and take a break for like a whole year to travel the world, which is actually one of my dreams at one point, I think if someone worked in a startup and didn't necessarily have the, the shiniest uh, success, you know, like story to say, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be fine. Like that person will be fine as well. You know? Yeah. 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 Being confidence. Forget the imposter syndrome at home. Be confident, go in, smash it. All right. So shifting gears for one final time, what was one, and speaking of the accomplishments that, you know, can sometimes be shiny or not so shiny, what was one thing that you're particularly proud of uh, over your journey? I'm going to give a very cheesy answer um, to this question. I'm originally from Moldova. Eastern Europe, very small country. Definitely the opportunities back home were not the same as in the Western Europe. Um, so my proudest moment is making out, well, it's a bit too harsh, it's making, um, achieving the journey that I've achieved to date and being on this journey and um, having a job that I love 
in one of the best cities in the world, in my view, that has become home for me. Mm-hmm. And creating this new network and creating this life of adventure and um, kind of meaning on a daily basis. So it's it hasn't been always easy and it's still not easy because with good life comes certain challenges. But being able to come from a very small country with a different type of education, different type of opportunities and finding my own opportunities and finding my own um, place in in the world is what I'm the most proud of. And was it a difficult move for you to make at the time? Um, it required effort and required lots of dedication. Um, for me to arrive to where I am today, I had to study hard, to win scholarships, to be able to study abroad as well. So I studied in Sweden on a full scholarship. I studied in the US on a full scholarship. My parents would have not been able to afford those studies. That set me apart, showed me, if you actually work hard, you can actually achieve what you set yourself you can achieve. So it was a very good kind of discipline training. Um, But once you do that, and once you start in a new culture, I think coming into a new culture is a new, totally different challenge. How do you take the Eastern European habits that you've got and place them in the very completely opposite culture in the UK and learning how to deal with it and how to adapt yourself while preserving who you are to begin with? It's something that hasn't been always easy, still not. I'm still a Moldovan through and through, but it's something that I really appreciate because it taught me, you know, the achievements that I get, I should be thankful for them and I shouldn't take them for granted. And all the people and all the like support system around me, without it, honestly, like it's very difficult to make it on your own. So yeah, it wasn't you got, easy, you got but to you know. Where you're, you're not just like surviving, but uh, obviously thriving. And I think there's a the, part of that um, part of that um, mentality of like going from from you know your home country in my case Egypt to to Ireland or from any from your home country to to where you are now. Um, there's this mentality of like don't rock the boat, like just be grateful that you have something, anything. Um, so I think to see you go ahead and not just not just do that, but obviously do do so much more than that. I think is really. Um, yeah, is really is 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 really inspiring for many. Um, quick question. It's a it's an annoying question because I don't know if you would have a direct answer for it, but like, was there a moment where you had this initial mentality that I was talking about of like, quote unquote, survive just surviving first kind of thing? Um, and what was like the switch, if if my question makes any sense at all? That's a very good question because my partner would say that I still live in survival mode. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I've come a long way since that, since then. Um, I think Moldovans, like Eastern Europeans in general, we, due to like cultural and historical um, elements, we are a bit more resilient. So we push a bit harder when the times are tough. And we do everything possible to achieve any goal we've set ourselves. Um, so it's 
a bit more difficult for us. Well, I'm not going to speak for, speak for all Eastern Europeans. For me, it was a bit more difficult to relax once I've achieved something. I'm always, okay, I've achieved this. What's the next thing? What do I need to do better to get more safety, more security in my day-to-day? Um, so I think I've probably relaxed in the past two years a bit more, finally. And it's only due to the work that I've been doing on myself, but also taking life in a bit in, a, in an easier way, in a bit more fun way. Like, what's the point of the journey if you don't enjoy it? So um, definitely recommend everyone to actually focus a bit more on working on themselves rather than always thinking externally. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to do this, I need to do that, yada, yada, yada. Actually taking a step back and actually thinking, am I doing everything that I'm supposed to do in the right way and in the best way for myself? Is it a torture every single day? Like, ask yourself the question, is this the life you want to live or not? I think I asked this question two years ago, and it actually suddenly had the bulb above my head. I realized, actually, I don't want to have the, to live in a survival mode all the time and always chasing the next thing. It's okay to relax. It's okay to just float a bit while enjoying the moment and living in the present. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I needed to hear this today, so thank you for sharing it with me, and I'm sure the audience as well will will definitely appreciate it. I'm sure there's at least one other person who needed to hear this today. Sometimes you feel like, why why do I deserve a break? You know, um, or no, no, I will get a break, but I need to get the X first. And what I understood theoretically, but now I'm finally learning, uh, like uh, like physically or 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 in reality, is that. Sometimes one can actually help enable the other. Um, you know, it's, this is very, speaking of cheesy, I don't think what you said is cheesy, but speaking of cheesy things, um, let's say that, let's say that working is kind of like breathing in and relaxing, is like breathing out. And so if you keep like breathing in the whole time, like I think both of them go together. So, and bo- both of them enable one another. Um, I was on a holiday recently and I got some of, um, like some really kind of like refreshing ideas about what to go and do with the business later on uh, during the holiday, not when I'm, you know, like on my desk here, like working away. So it, it's amazing, like what, so, so I mean, I think what you were talking about in terms of like this being almost like a um, a part of your journey or like a phase of your journey to just generally take things a little bit easier and allow yourself to come up for air is not just, oh, because you need a break. It's actually, like this can actually help you this can actually help you get to your goals faster somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it allows you to gain new energy to be able to give back to your work, to your colleagues, to your teams, to your partner, to your friends. If you don't have it, why are you expecting great outcomes in return? What you put in is what you put out. And if you put more in after a break, you should expect to get more out of it as well. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well said. Well, Elena, we've come to the end of the episode. Uh, we can keep talking, but I am conscious of your time, of course. So I just wanted to say, where can people find you if they wanted to continue the conversation with you afterwards? People can find me on LinkedIn. Um, very easy. I have a public profile. You can just message me, uh, Elena Bershadsky. I think, Karim, you're going to have my name spelled correctly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, the way it's spelled, it sounds different when I say it. And yeah, feel free to reach out. And um, I I mentor kind of um, startups and founders and marketeers 
or I just like also to just connect to peers as well for short online coffee chats to see what experiences we can share and learn from each other. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Karim. Thank you. Bye-bye.